Good morning. As we continue our readings in Amos this morning, we're going to turn to Amos chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 13. And this morning I'm reading from the ESV. Hear the word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring me some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through the breaches in the wall and you will be cast out towards Harmon, declares the Lord. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your freewill offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you, when the harvest was still three months away, I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, and the other had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of them, some of you, as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord Almighty is his name. Thank you, Ian. We're working our way through a series in the book of Amos called The Unrelenting Roar as God's voice speaks to his people. And today's message uh, is the fourth one. So we look at Amos 4, 1 to 13, and the title of today's message is Calling Without Answer. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask that you might open our eyes, that we will see and hear what you are saying to us through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A brief outline of today's passage. Verses 1 to 3 is a condemnation of Israel's women. 
Uh, and men don't relax uh, because it includes you too. <laughs> But I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, verses 4 to 5 is a condemnation of Israel's worship. Verses 6 to 11 is a condemnation of Israel's stubbornness. And verses 12 and 13 is a declaration of the Lord God of hosts. But I, I couldn't escape when I was first reading this passage where back several weeks ago when we were starting our studies in the book of Amos, I was looking at the whole uh, book. And this chapter really made me ask the question, what is God saying to us through natural disasters? Because there's so many verses here about natural disasters, and here in the Hawkesbury we've suffered quite a few of those in the past few years, haven't we? Bushfire, floods, 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 more floods. And it just, it's a question that I think we need to examine that comes through in the passage. So we're going to have a look at that today. And the big idea is God is calling. Will we turn to him? The context of this particular passage, it's important for us to note, is God's covenant with Israel through Moses. And so... Uh, what we have, and this is helpful for us to get an idea of what's going on here, is we have God way back in the time of Moses. You remember he, he came, he brought them the Ten Commandments, and there's a whole lot of law uh, there in, in the books of uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, um, there's a good... Um, summary here of God's covenant and what it meant and how it was intended to work. And this is really important for us to understand Amos chapter 4 and Amos generally as a book. So in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 to 8, we have blessings for obedience. So I'll read this for us. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall, you, shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Yet here a real picture of abundance. If they followed, if they obeyed God, and this is God's covenant with them, his agreement with them. If you obey me, says God, I'm going to give you all of this blessing. I'm going to pour out more blessing than you could possibly imagine. Blessing on your cattle, blessing on the fruit of your womb. In other words, women will have babies and it won't be a difficulty to do that. You know, the blessing on your barns, you'll gather in big crops. The blessing of 
beating your enemies. All of this blessing that would come if they were obedient to God. But, Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 26, and, and look, there's a lot more all around this. I'm just sort of picking out uh, portions for us to, to see the, the way that covenant theology works. If you obey God, there's blessing. This is the Mosaic Covenant. But, verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. We don't often think, do we, about curses. Uh, You know, God brings curses against the people. But this is the, the agreement that God made with the people of Israel. Obey me and there's blessings. Disobey me and there's the opposite of blessings. Curses. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. You see how that's the, the exact opposite of the blessings that are previously Announced, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. I'm just going to go down a little further to verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, and your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. Serious punishment, serious consequences for disobedience. And then in verse 30, uh, sorry, chapter 30, Deuteronomy 30, uh, there's a call for them to heed these. So when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And it goes on. There's this sense here in chapter 30 of God saying, when you see the, the blessings for obedience and when you see the curses for disobedience, then call them to mind. That's what it says here in chapter 30. Think about this stuff and return to the Lord. That's the context of Amos chapter 4. So let's have a look then. We'll we'll look back at Amos chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Now, this is a condemnation of Israel's women. And look, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? You cows of Bashan. Look, that's, uh, if, if I said that from the pulpit today to the women of our church, you'd be rightly upset, wouldn't you? Yeah, at least one lady said she'd be upset. Um, 
look, we would we would see that quite differently to the way they would have seen that back then. Uh, remember in the time of the, the slavery in Egypt, Pharaoh has a, a vision that Joseph later provides the interpretation for through God. And, and the vision is of seven fat cows and then seven skinny cows that swallow up the seven fat cows. Right? So uh, fat cows was a sign of God's blessing. And uh, there's numerous instances where this place, Bashan, is talked about as, as being a place where um, cows, you know, cattle, it was a fertile place where cattle were, you know, fat. And that was a sign of God's blessing. And some commentators even believe that the, the women of Samaria actually took this terminology, cows of Bashan, as a way to actually talk about how blessed they were. So we read that and think, that's a terrible thing to say to people. But Amos is probably taking a terminology that they used themselves to say, look how blessed we are by God. We're wealthy and live in luxury. And he's using that to address them and saying, hear this word. Because the luxury that you're sitting on is because you oppress the poor and you crush the needy. You sit there saying to your husbands, bring me more wine to drink. But the fruit of that labor comes from mistreating the workers in your vineyard. And so God pronounces his judgment. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. One of the translations of our Bible says they'll take you away with meat hooks. They'll stick a hook through your nose and drag you away. It's pretty graphic imagery, isn't it, of judgment. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon. Now, Harmon, no one knows where that is. <laughs> uh, it's never mentioned in any other part of the Bible, but there is a place called Mount Hermon, which is not far from Samaria, um, which was a mountain in Bashan, the highest mountain in Bashan, the, that region. Uh, and so most commentators believe that uh, casting them out onto Mount Hermon is uh, like saying your dead bodies will be cast out for the birds of the air to eat. Does that sound familiar? Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth and there shall be no one to frighten them away. God's judgment, God's punishment on them for disobedience to his covenant. And so we have a condemnation of 
Israel's women. But lest you think that that excuses the men, um, there's stuff in here, it's too deep for me, but I trust the commentators. A, a number of them talk about, because I'm, I'm not an original languages guru, uh, but in the Hebrew apparently there's, there's a lot of um, masculine words in there. So while it's addressing the women of Samaria, it's also using lots of masculine words, which is intended to say, all of you people that are sitting there in your wealth that has been created by taking advantage of other people, your dead bodies are going to be thrown out on Mount Hermon for the birds of the air to pick at. By the way, um, this is a bit of an aside for a moment, but we get lots of people say to us how fantastic our graphics are, and I just want to give a shout-out to Janelle Keys. I don't know if she's here today. but She's in kids' church, is she? Yeah. Janelle does a fantastic job on all our graphics, so if there's any bad graphics, that's because us as pastors have tried to do our own thing and if there's good graphics it's because Janelle does such a tremendous job. She goes through our passages in advance and looks at them and thinks about them and tries to come up with images that fit the passages and we really appreciate everything she does. That's an aside. Let's keep moving. (laughs) Um, Verses 4 and 5 have a condemnation of Israel's worship. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Now Bethel and Gilgal were the places where the nation of Israel, the northern tribes, where they went to worship God. So as Amos is saying, come to Bethel, you can imagine that his hearers are thinking, oh, he's, he's been condemning us, but now he's saying, come to Bethel and worship. <laughs> no. <laughs> come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. The very place where these people were going to worship God was a place of transgression. And we see this as we look at the whole of the book of Amos. It's a place of transgression because their lives did not reflect obedience to the covenant of God. And so no amount of worship would ever put that right. It's a a warning for us. Do we come to church on a Sunday and hope that by coming and sitting and receiving communion that somehow all of what we've done during the week will be expunged? We'll talk a little bit more about this later in the message, but our our lives ought to reflect the grace of God in them. Uh, And James says, faith without works is dead. If we truly have faith in Christ, it will work itself out during the week. We can't do whatever we want all week long and come to church and go, oh, phew, I'm, I'm all right now. But that's what they were doing here. They were living as they pleased. They were ignoring God's covenant. They were disobedient to God. But then they would come to the places of worship and and make a big show of it. You know, they would bring their sacrifices every morning and their tithes every three days. They would bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
and proclaim free will offerings and publish them. So they were sort of saying, hey, look at me, I'm bringing my tithe. And God says, it's meaningless, it's worthless. You come to worship, but it just multiplies your transgressions because it it shines such a light on the fact that your weekday living does not align with God's covenant. Uh, I encourage you, let God's work in Jesus through the Holy Spirit in your life work its way through your whole week so that you are consistent in showing the fruits in keeping with repentance. We move on to verses 6 to 11. Now, in here we have seven calamities that are outlined. Famine, drought, blight and mildew, locusts, plagues, the sword and complete overthrow. And the number seven is a significant number in biblical terms. It's a, it's a number of completion uh, or completeness. And so what's happening here is, you know, God is saying, I'm bringing all of this punishment on you because of your disobedience to the covenant. And he's outlining here seven different reasons because on and on and on went their disobedience. And in verse 6, we read about famine. And at the end of the verse, I'll, I'll read it. I'll give you, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That's an interesting translation, isn't it? It means there was no food. Uh, it's, it doesn't mean I gave you fluoride in your water. Um, it, it means you had no food, so your teeth, you, you couldn't get any little bits of meat stuck in between them because you weren't eating anything. I gave you cleanness of teeth. Interesting way of talking about it. And lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Famine. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied yet you did not return to me I struck you with blight and mildew uh, that's one in itself your many gardens and your vineyards your fig trees and your olive trees the locust devoured here's time after time God was sending them messages you know back in Deuteronomy there be blessings or there be curses when you see the blessings or the curses you need to stop and bring them to mind and return to the Lord but God's saying I sent you 
blight and mildew. I sent you locusts, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. You're thinking about plague in terms of what's a pestilence. God sent plagues to the Egyptians. One of the plagues struck their cattle. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that story? The whole two towns, two cities were obliterated. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Over and over and over again, God gave the people of Israel opportunity to see the blessings and the curses, to bring them to mind and to return to him, yet they did not return. And so at the end of the chapter, we read these words, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. That's a a pretty important thing for us to think about. Are we prepared to meet our God? Because this is who God is. He's the one who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought. In other words, God's an open book. He's put it out there so that you might hear him who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the the creator of all the world, the one who holds all the elements in his hand. This is the one who will bring judgment. The Lord, the God of hosts or the God of armies is his name. So remember, the context is the covenant. Blessings if you obey, curses if you disobey. Bring, bring those things to mind and return to me, says the Lord Almighty. We live in a different era. We live under the new covenant, God's covenant of grace through Jesus. And the, the condition to start us into receiving the blessings of that covenant is faith in Jesus Christ himself. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We are in an age where we can come to God through faith in Jesus Christ to receive the blessing of grace. It's what we've just celebrated as we've shared together in the Lord's Supper. There's a continuing condition and that is obedience. And that's what I was talking about earlier in James chapter 2. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
You can say, oh, I believe in Jesus. But if that's not working its way through in your life, is that faith really alive or is it dead? Someone will say, says James, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You say you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, that you've placed your faith in him that ought to be working its way through so that it's not just on Sunday that you say that, but it's in the way you interact with customers at work. It's in the way that you engage with people that you do business with. It's in the attitude that you have towards your spouse or your children or your parents. Faith without works is dead. And the blessing for us is eternal life. What a tremendous blessing. And thanks for that song earlier, Phil, which really speaks to on that day when we see our Saviour, what a day that will be, what a glorious day that will be. So coming back to this question, what is God saying to us through natural disasters? Because when we look at this passage, Amos, we have to understand that we're in the context of covenant. Their covenant was obey and there'll be blessing, disobey and there'll be cursing. But we're under the new covenant, the covenant of grace. So how do we interpret all of these floods that have hit the Hawkesbury? Is that God's punishment on the Hawkesbury? What a terrible region we are. No, that's not the way it works in the new covenant. God hasn't promised in the new covenant that there be blessing and cursing, dependence on your obedience. Our salvation is based on our faith in Christ. So there's a, a doctrine or a theology, if you want to put it that way, of providence. And providence can be defined um, from, and I've taken this from Lexham's survey, survey of Theology by Gerald Bray. Providence is the governing power of God that oversees his creation and works out his plans for it. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Providence believes that God upholds the whole universe, that the whole of creation is held together by God. Indeed, uh, in Colossians 1.17, that's what we're told. In him, all things hold together. And providence is... The understanding that God is the one who allows everything to take place. Now, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology suggests that providence outworks itself in a number of different arenas of life through inanimate creation, that's through the elements, you know, like floods, bushfires, yeah, inanimate objects. 
that God's providence works its way out in the realm of animals through seemingly random events. Uh, Let me give you an example of what that means. You, You know in the New Testament when they were trying to find a replacement for Judas Iscariot, what did they do? Anyone know? They drew lots. That's gambling, isn't it? <laughs> but they had an understanding that God's providence, that God's will, that his, his working would work through seemingly random events. God's providence comes through events that are fully caused by God and yet are fully caused by creatures as well. Um, I'm not going to go into all of this providence stuff in detail, by the way. It's, it's a subject for many sermons. Um, but God's providence comes through in the affairs of nations. You know how it, you read in the Old Testament how God raised up a nation to, to bring judgment on another nation? In fact, the nation of Assyria, the nation of, of Babylon, they brought judgment on Israel and Judah even though they were evil nations in and of themselves. God's providence works its way through in all aspects of our lives. And Grudem raises the question, what about evil? How, how does, how do, if God's in control of everything, how is it that there is evil in our world? And, and how is it that that's allowed? The example is found in the story of Joseph, one particular one that's well known, and I'll just, I'll mention that. Uh, And I'll quote here from Grudem just because he summarises it so well. Scripture clearly says that Joseph's brothers were wrongly jealous of him, hated him, wanted to kill him, and did wrong when they cast him into a pit and then sold him into slavery in Egypt. Yet later... Joseph could say to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve life. And you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Providence is an understanding that even in the evil deeds of our world, God in his sovereignty is able to bring about his own purposes. We read in the New Testament that God brings about all things, brings all things together for good for those who love him. That's not to say that all things are good. There is evil in the world. There are things that happen which are not good. But God in his sovereignty is able to bring his good purposes to bear through that. We come back to thinking about providence in the realm of inanimate creation. Floods, bushfires. We read in Psalm 135 verse 6 and 7, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. This is just one verse. There's many verses throughout the whole of Scripture. And if you look in the book of Psalms, you see over and over again this this idea of God is the one who controls all of the elements of our world. 
And just as God is able to bring good despite the evil deeds of Joseph's brothers, God brings good out of that. An understanding of God as a good God and an understanding that he is in control of the world recognises that even in bad events, natural disasters, yet God will bring his good out of it. He doesn't cause evil to happen, but he is sovereign. In Romans chapter 8, we read, For the creation waits, that's <laughs> the whole of the world waits, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Sin in our world means that the whole of creation is in bondage. It's in bondage to corruption. And in fact, here in this verse, we're, we're urged to understand that the whole of creation is looking forward to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We as children of God, as people who believe in Jesus Christ and receive his promised forgiveness and grace and mercy, we've seen the new life that comes through Christ. And we're told that the whole of creation itself is looking forward to that freedom from bondage to sin, but that right now it's groaning under that bondage. We ought to understand that natural disasters occur because the world that we in, are, are in is messed up because of sin. It's not pinpointable to your individual personal sin or my individual personal sin, but the whole of this world has been marred by sin. And so there are bushfires, droughts, floods, pandemics. What is God saying to us? Well, just like the people of Israel were told, look at the blessings and look at the curses and bring it to mind and turn to me or return to me. Our attitude towards natural disasters ought to be, God, what are you saying to me? Do I need to return to you? And it's not some punishment for your own individual sin or for the individual sins of the Hawkesbury, but it is God calling out. And just as he called out again and again and again, symbolically seven times to the people of Israel, he is calling out every time something goes wrong in this world that you can't 
slate back to individual personal sin. And let's be, let's be clear, sometimes our sin does have consequences and you can see directly the consequences of our sin. You know, if you steal a whole lot of money from your employer and you end up going to jail for it, that's pretty clear that's the consequences of your sin, isn't it? But there's lots of stuff that happens in our world that you can't slate back to personal, individual responsibility to the consequences of sin. And in each of those instances, whatever it might be, God is calling, return to me. Come and place your trust in Jesus so that you might be forgiven and set free from the corruption that even the whole of the world is subject to. Repent. Turn to him. God is calling. I don't know where you're at today whether you're walking closely with him or whether you've never considered that God might be calling you. But he is. He's calling to you and to me. Weary sinner, come home. Repent. Turn to me. And if, if you're someone who is following him, I encourage you, I urge you, there's so many opportunities for us in the Hawkesbury right now to use the natural disasters that we've been subject to as an opportunity for a a conversation starter. Have you ever thought maybe God's calling you? to return to him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we might be people who rightly understand the wonder of the covenant of grace that by faith in Jesus Christ we can be set free from slavery to sin, given a new heart a heart that beats with the heartbeat of God. We pray that we might be people who are ministers of this new covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.